0: This is Andrew Biggers, and you're listening to Squawk Talk. It is March 4th, 2021, and today's episode is a bit different from the others. Typically, I engage in a no-holds-barred squawk with a guest no sooner than the week of an episode's broadcast. However, due to the hectic-natured holiday season being made, all the more strenuous by the coronavirus pandemic. The conversation you are about to hear was long lost for months, hidden deep inside the infamous squawk archives. Kindly agreeing to squawk with me under such abnormal circumstances, November 25th, 2020, was the day Norman, Oklahoma's mayor, Bria Clark, shared some of her insights on the state's fight against the coronavirus pandemic as well as her own efforts to break up the divisive partisan norms. I was immediately taken aback by how calm, level-headed, and attentive Mayor Clark was, especially considering the fact that she has been the subject of a landmark recall effort and fictionalized as a radical leftist. Moreover, the Mayor's ability to balance a family and her responsibilities as a civil servant has no doubt been put to the test. But still, Mayor Clark continues to lead. All right, Mayor Clark, any big Thanksgiving plans?
1: No, nobody should have big Thanksgiving plans. We're in the middle of a pandemic, so I will be home with my family. We're not even making a turkey because we were discussing what we were going to cook, and much to my dismay, it turns out I'm the only one that really likes turkey. And since it's just the four of us, we've decided to try Cornish game hens.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, my husband likes to cook.
0: That's that's a good husband. Seems like a lot of people that I know are surprisingly, you know, closeted—not turkey haters, but. They're not wildly pro-turkey. Well, regarding the pandemics, I definitely want to talk to you about that just in your role facilitating in that manner. But before that, I would love to just learn a little bit about your background. Uh, You went to OU, correct?
1: For law school. I'm from Wichita, Kansas originally and went to Wichita State for my undergrad. And law school is what brought me to Norman.
0: Did you always have a vision of public service?
1: I have always been involved in community service. I've been organizing community projects since middle school and I always have had an interest in politics but more political science which was my major and Wichita State had some great kind of fellowship programs where you find your internship and we'll cover your living expenses so you don't have to worry about at least rent and I was very fortunate to get accepted to the program my sophomore year of college and even more fortunate to get selected for a White House internship, which was wow.
0: phenomenal.
1: And yeah, I'm, I'm just a middle-class girl from Wichita, Kansas. And I got asked a lot, you know, from all these Ivy League people who I was interning with, like, who do you know? <laughs> <laughs> they must've needed to fill a quota, but I was happy to be that person. And then the following year, my junior year, I was selected for a fellowship that took me to the Kansas State Capitol. And after you're a White House intern, you can pretty much pick who you intern for. And so I, by the time I finished college, I had experience with the federal government and state government. And then I worked on my first campaign when I came to Oklahoma. Uh,
0: who was that for?
1: Jerry Askins.
0: Okay. Um, w- when you were in the White House, because I've heard different stories about how, from people's personal accounts, getting the sense that the halls are kind of... You know, some, some something along the lines of hallowed grounds, or I've even heard that the West Wing has this kind of evil aura or a discomforting feel to it. Did you experience anything like that?
1: I certainly wouldn't call it evil. I would call yeah. it humbling. You know, I worked in the Office of Cabinet Affairs, so I was actually in the Roosevelt Room because I was fortunate enough to work there when the Department of Homeland Security was created. So I got to go with staff into that room, you know, where they're all seated around the table. And on the back of the chairs, it doesn't have your name. It has every position you've ever held in every administration. And so we had to fit a chair in there and, and get it all ready to go. And we were looking at everything when, and I worked for President Bush, George W. Bush. He walked by. Uh, on the way to the Oval Office while I was in that room. And it was, again, very humbling. I, I certainly wouldn't call it scary. It makes you want to be the best version of yourself, for sure, when when serving your nation.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I've heard stories about President Obama and President Bush specifically, that they just have this ability when they walk into a room, without saying a word, to just own it. That That is the kind of power that their presence exudes. Well, what made you decide to run for mayor? Uh, when you, or actually before that, how did you get to Norman, Oklahoma? Just through law school or other means?
1: No. Um- Truth be told, I was I was dating a, a man that I had met at the bar I worked at. That's a pro tip. If you don't want to go to bars in college, work at the bars. So uh, I, I met a man there and he had connections in Norman. And so I, I looked long hard at the University of Oklahoma College of Law and was fortunate enough to get accepted. And the rest is history. So um, I've had my babies here, bought my first home here. So I like to say I'm a transplanted Kansan and uh, this is home now. And my children will think red dirt is normal. So, <laughs> uh, but it's it's been great. You know, I've, like I said, always been involved. My leadership path started with my children. I think as as many parents, I got involved with the PTA, which when I say involved, I helped start the PTA at our newest elementary school. Reagan Elementary here in Norman and so I kept hounding the principal like when's the PTA going to start when is the PTA going to start because I was like ready to be a PTA mom right I've been waiting for this and finally she's like "Uh, ma'am I don't have time to take care of this will you do it and I was like "Eh, can't be that hard so the first position I held in that PTA was president. It was a big learning curve, but we were happy to dive in Uh, lots of great things have happened with that PTA at Reagan and through that involvement. I noticed that Norman didn't have a PTA Council and so PTA. gets a bad rap for bake sales and 50s dances which We do and we do well, but it's also the oldest child advocacy organization in the nation. You know, They've worked on uh, meals in schools, child labor laws. And here when I was involved in PTA, we helped with uh, standardized testing and changes to those. And so I discovered that Norman didn't have a council and I went to the Oklahoma PTA president because it's national, state, district and then individual units and said, hey, why doesn't Norman have a council? And I got a very similar response to what that principal at Reagan told me. And it was like, well, I don't know. Why don't you do it? So I did. And I helped bring back the Norman PTA Council. And that is a citywide position. And so I got to work with every school in Norman, which was a special opportunity, and got to connect with kind of the movers and shakers. Like we joined the Chamber of Commerce because we rely heavily on businesses to support and donate things, which reminds me. Saturday is small business Saturday, so everyone needs to get out there and shop local. Uh, But So I I got involved with that, and while all that's happening, I've been involved with city boards and commissions because I had my my son, my oldest son, while I was in law school, which another pro tip, don't have babies in graduate school. (laughs) You can do that, you can do anything, right? Truly. I, I didn't really allow myself to have a life, because I was busy working and being a mom and finishing law school. So when I took the bar exam, didn't even have my results yet, it was like freedom, and came across a walk and talk with the mayor, which at the time was the first popularly elected female mayor of Norman Cindy Rosenthal. And I remember the kids in the jogging stroller, I'm wearing my OU Law shirt, and I push my way to the front to dominate her conversation. Turns out she's an Alpha fee from Northwestern, I'm an Alpha fee from Wichita State. So we had that, and I was like, how do I get involved? And she's like, apply to a city board or commission. And she appointed me, and the first one I got was the tree board it was the only one with an opening and if you remember i'm from kansas which is a giant prairie so the tree board was a very educational experience Uh, but i soon got moved over to the library board which i'm always a library kid at heart and have continued to support our libraries even now as mayor and so through the pta involvement the citywide position to the boards and commissions where i knew how the city worked timing is everything and um, it was mayor Rosenthal who sat me down one day and said have you ever thought about running for city council and honestly I hadn't but you know once she said it it was there and there was no going back so there's that and then it's very it's, it's worth mentioning that my leadership path is marked with other strong women who encouraged me to go a step further than I would have gone myself and when I ran for city council I had a year and a half old son my youngest son so it was, it was rough on the family, but timing and momentum really lined up and I had the support of my family. And that would be one of my first tips to any person, not just a woman or a mom running for office, but you need to have your family on board because it's not an individual effort. It's just not. And so my, my husband's amazing. My children have knocked doors with me, have been in parades with me. And it's, it's a balance because I often find that I'm gone a lot. You know, right now, every Tuesday night guaranteed. Pandemics helped a lot. I've got to spend a lot of time with my kids, which I needed. Um, but before that, multiple nights a week, I'm gone. But I think it's also, again, with that balance, important for them to see their mother working to make a better city for them and for others. And hopefully it'll it'll spark like, this is what you do. You you get involved and you make a difference and you you give of your time. So it's, it's always a balance. But again, the upside of the pandemic, and I think many people would say that, is I've gotten more time with my family. Some may be too much, uh, but I really enjoyed it, especially my youngest son. You know, Like I said, he was a year and a half when I first ran for office and we really needed this time together.
0: Right, he was just kind of thrown into the mix. You know, you were it's arguing.
1: all he knows. Yeah. yeah, it's all he knows.
0: I've grown up going to our local library here in Dallas. And it makes me sad to see that they're seemingly com- almost completely underutilized now with the internet and with just, I mean, especially the pandemic, I can't even imagine. What has the pandemic done to your day-to-day responsibilities?
1: Well, it, so everyone, I get asked a lot, you know, how do you manage it all? Because with the council manager form of government, I have a full-time job. I joke, the one that actually pays me. Being the mayor of Norman, pays me a whopping $100 a month before tax. And so it really is a labor of love. You know That was set back in the 70s, it's rough. Um, so I have to balance my job, my, my commitment to my city, which has clearly been ramped up this past year. And then of course my family. And how I always do that is, is I try to practice being present. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at City Hall, I'm at City Hall. And when I'm home, I'm home. You know, putting the phone down and spending some quality time with my children. But during the, especially the stay at home order and over the summer when I was working from home, all of my worlds are in one space. <laughs> so that has been a real challenge. So I think that's the the hardest one is being able to compartmentalize my responsibilities. But you make it work. You know, I had a baby in law school. Like I said, I can do anything. So it, it's just takes some flexibility and adjustment and lots of self-care i think has been one of the biggest changes that i've really started implementing because it wears on you you know i feel like a human piñata half the time but it's we're doing what we have to do and uh, i have no regrets but i do make time to make sure my children feel attended to and that i'm okay here <laughs> as well as here
0: oh yeah very important uh, i started drinking kombucha and
1: you know, I've heard about this.
0: Yes. And uh, the problem is, though, I feel like I've you know, had something healthy. So now I have a free pass to go have a Dr. Pepper or you know, whatever else. What was the election process like for your position as mayor? Or like how, when, you were, when you were made mayor, what was that like on you and your family?
1: So I mentioned Mayor Rosenthal was the, the strong woman that encouraged me to take a step further. There's another mayor, a strong woman that encouraged me to take a step further. And that was our immediate past mayor, also a female, Mayor Lynn Miller. And she asked if I'd be interested in running for mayor. And we had made lots of jokes about it uh, because I knew one of my colleagues was running for mayor. And I was just waiting for someone else to jump in the race. And nobody did. And so when she asked me if I'd consider it, we had a, my husband and I had a serious talk about it. And it was Thanksgiving of 2018. And the election was in February, which is not a long time for a citywide election, not to mention the holidays are right in the middle of it and winter. Right. But you don't get to just be mayor of Norman. So I was going to make him work for it. And I don't I didn't know if I would win. But I was like, yeah, it's a few months. I can do this. And lo and behold, I won. So it was challenging. It was actually the first mayoral election after we'd moved it to February. Historically, all of our city elections are in April with a June runoff, which was my ward six race. But we got preempted by the state legislature on when we can have candidate elections on even years, which is difficult because we have eight wards. Uh, even wards are on even years, odd wards are on odd years. And we wanted to keep it you know, every April or every everything. And April was no longer an option. And so between my two elections, it went from April to February. And man, it was cold. February elections are brutal. So I did, I did not enjoy that very much. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and you, you roll with it. Either you can handle it or you can't. And we showed that we could handle it.
0: There seems to be a theme of, and no one else is doing it, I might as well roll up my sleeves and <laughs> go to work.
1: That, that is a common theme in my story, for sure.
0: What would you or how would you describe... It, COVID's overall impact on the city of Norman.
1: On the city of Norman, I don't think we've had any unique challenges. I mean, this is global, and right. unfortunately, it's worse nationally than it is anywhere else in the world. Um, and I, I say that, you know, obviously, you look at different levels of development around the world. You know, parts of Africa, India, even, but I do think it's worse here because not only were we caught unprepared and just denied reality for way too long, one of the best parts about our culture, being an American, had become one of the worst parts of our culture, which is this, well, two parts, American exceptionalism, it won't happen here, we'll be fine, we're Americans. Now, with the whole mask issue, which never should have been politicized, we have our American individualism, where I have my rights and you can't tell me what to do. So it's been really unfortunate to see the dark side, I think, of, of our nation, but I would rather know it's there than not, so we can work to address it and change it for future generations, because this won't be the last pandemic. I mean, hopefully it'll be another 100 years from now and I will not be alive to see it, because I have seen it inside and out on this one. Um, but yeah, so we, we, need to, we need to grow up. I, I've been on some panels, lots of panels, and J.D. Baker, he's a special assistant to Mayor Holt in Oklahoma City. I knew him when he was SGA president at the University of Oklahoma. He had a great wow. comment about how um, the United States is going through puberty. It's ugly, it's rough, emotions are high, but when we get to the end of it, hopefully we'll be a little bit wiser be a little bit stronger and a little more confident in who we are, and and again, have a, a better path forward than the one we find ourselves on today.
0: I love that description, you know, because it seems like the virus is not the only thing that has fallen victim to aggressive partisan politics, right, everything seems to be overly politicized now.
1: Yeah, like I was saying, the city of Norman's challenges from the p- pandemic, I don't think are unique. Um, Fortunately, I think we might even had a small advantage because we were already tightening our belt so much that we haven't had to make budget cuts because we were already prepared from another issue that has since been settled. But we've had a combination of issues in Norman throughout the summer, which has made this the hardest year of my life uh, easily. But you, you power through and you, you hope you learn a few things along the way. But our biggest concerns as a city are obviously finances for the city. But for me, and obviously the health of your residents, you know, we've lost 70 in Norman. And over two thirds of those have been in nursing homes and assisted living centers. One of those being the veterans center. So the loss of life, I swear if I hear one more time, well, the mortality rates only like 1%. They clearly don't know anyone who's died. Right. And I think that is ridiculously selfish and insensitive. But, you know, you, you move on. And so that's obviously a big one. But the other one has got to be the impact on our small businesses. Uh, the stay-at-home order was, was very difficult to, to issue that. But it was the right thing to do at the time. But now in retrospect, we shut down cities when we had like two deaths. And now we have 70. And it's like, so what's the plan now? So we're constantly reevaluating our next steps and the best news ever is the vaccine, but we also know it won't be here immediately. And even when it is here, it's not gonna be distributed widely for a long time. I have weekly emergency management meetings. I think we're on number like 58 because there was a while where we were meeting three times or twice a week. And so it was reported to me in our last one yesterday that our county health department is working closely with the state on how we're going to disperse the the vaccine. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a long tunnel. And now it's colder and you know these super spreader events of indoor gatherings are terrifying. So we're going to like I said have to continue to reevaluate our next steps because we are certainly not in the clear yet.
0: No, definitely not. The idea of Black Friday I would imagine is pretty <laughs> concerning for from a mayoral standpoint. Um,
1: well, even the home football games, you know, they're, they're a huge drive for our economy and also morale. You've got to balance that. There was a point in the stay-at-home order where child abuse and domestic abuse calls were skyrocketing, suicide calls were skyrocketing. And so you you really, and that's been a, a big thing I've looked at is it's not just about the numbers, uh, be it the economy or, you know, new cases and death rates, you have to look at the whole picture of a person in your community. And it was really wearing on people. So I almost welcomed football back because I knew it would be a little taste of normalcy. And I appreciate all the safety measures that you took. But bedloom was rough. That was the most calls that we got about big parties. And I'm like, oh my gosh, young people, you're about to go home to your families. And you're having a big party in a pandemic it's it's rough so hopefully we can get back on track and and survive the holiday season i i don't think we've seen the worst of it yet unfortunately
0: really because it's like you mentioned earlier finding a balance and i think that there certainly is a balance to be sought after if you know if not found between you know a person's individual needs uh, as well as their liberty, because that that's what the mask debate is all about, right? It, it's you know example of liberty. I shouldn't have to do what the man tells me because I'm an American. But well, I mean, what what are your thoughts on you know the possibility of future stay-at-home orders?
1: I don't know if that's the answer. I'm not considering that at this time. Um, but there could be restrictions in other areas where we know people are contracting the virus, you know, large gatherings, uh, gyms, and restaurants and bars seem to be a hot spot. So I, I would be surprised if anyone in Oklahoma does a stay at home order. I've been kind of the first to do a lot of these things. And I, I like to hope that I've pressured some other communities to also take action. So I have zero regrets about anything that we've done. But I'd, again, with the stay-at-home order, when you talked about the, the balance of the mental health, I don't know if that's the best solution. So we're going to keep evaluating it. I have consistently made data-driven, science-based decisions with guidance from medical professionals. And that's who I've been leaning on because I was elected to make tough choices, which I have done. But I'm also not a medical expert, so I don't make these tough choices until I talk to those who have the information we need. It's been it's been a, a journey, that's for sure.
0: Certainly, uh, have you faced backlash from any of your COVID decisions?
1: Oh yes, yeah. Uh, lots. Um, yeah, I've always had thick skin. You know, I I was the I don't, I don't it's not my position now, but for over a decade at the University of Oklahoma. I was the academic integrity lady. So I was like the face of people's consequences for cheating. My my joke was always on the scale of administrators of popularity. I'm like, right at the bottom, right above the parking people, you know, like, <laughs> so I, I've got thick skin and man, uh, now I'm a crocodile. So you, it takes me a while to answer some messages because I have to get in a good place mentally before I go in and read them some are very supportive and those are the ones I try and focus on and some are just hateful and mean and I always it's like dealing with bullies and what I tell my children when someone is mean to you like that where they're clearly trying to make you cry or hurt your feelings don't get upset say a prayer for them something is so wrong in their life that they have to make another human being feel bad about themselves. So that's how I try and look at it, but it'll wear on you after a while. Lots of comments about killing me, which I'm never comfortable with. Obviously, my my husband, oh yeah, this weekend, uh, there was another another I was running at Sutton Wilderness and residents overheard another resident saying oh is that Bria Clark I want to run her over with my car and so they stopped me before I ran back into the trail where he was Um, I'm I filed the police report on that I filed the police report over the summer this guy was actually a cop in another city in Oklahoma who said you know what she needs we need to pull her out on the courthouse lawn and and hang her up so I, I just find it baffling that people take life and death so lightly that they can joke about it. And then even um, there was, I didn't do any interviews on the threat from this weekend, because you know, I try to put those things behind me. But it was covered in the news. And I sent a statement. And somebody had screenshotted it and posted it, I believe it was the Republicans of Norman private Facebook group, and said, Who gets the medal?" And there, and there were people liking and hearting it. And it's just like, I got kids, man. You know, I know you may not agree with half the, the, or anything I do, but where is our civility and humanity right now? And so again, I'd rather know what's out there than not know. But what I keep trying to stress to my residents is treat each other with grace. Because when this is over, and it will be over, I'm hoping, like, the Olympics will be the global sigh of relief, our first real, like, oh, okay, yes. yeah, I'm, I think that's going to be the thing, and when that happens, are you going to be able to look back at the actions you took during this crisis and be proud of, of your actions? That's what I ask residents to think about, because we're still going to be neighbors. I'm not moving. I'm still going to be in office, <laughs> so it's, it's challenging, And again, I I try and and give all those comments and and threats even with grace, because people are really upset and stressed out right now, but there are better ways to handle that. And unfortunately, I mentioned the human piñata comment earlier, but that's all right. We'll we'll get through it.
0: You know, political leaning has turned into more of a personality trait than anything. And when people are criticizing a political decision or political leadership now, it seems almost inseparable from an insult tied in with a person's character.
1: And another part of politics right now that I'm not thrilled about is there is no middle ground. In fact, if you are middle of the road, you're a traitor to both sides, which the divide has gotten so deep. And I consider myself middle of the road. And I've seen firsthand that, oh, well, you're a Democrat, so I automatically hate you from the Republican side. But then I'll have progressive Democrats say, you're not progressive enough and also hate me. So it's, it's a challenge. And I'm I'm hoping that with the new administration, we can get through it and maybe heal some of that division. But it's gonna, it's gonna take a while lots of damage has been done. And I think damage had been done before the pandemic. And now everyone's losing their minds. So it's we got a long road ahead of us.
0: No doubt. I see I keep seeing polls suggesting that if Trump were to make a 2024 run, the majority of Republicans are going to back him. I've seen that like a few different polls indicating that. Do you, do you think that he would do something like that?
1: Oh, well, I, I don't know it well enough, but I can tell you nothing would surprise me at this point. After 2020, everything is fair game.
0: All bets are off. If you don't mind, I would love to just because I remember reading about this and this semester, I took a state and local politics course, and it was, it was my favorite course. And we talked briefly about, or my professor had mentioned, you know, it's like, hey, look at this Unite Norman situation that's going on. And I just, I, I started reading into it, and I was still left a little bit confused. I was wondering if you could maybe just, in your own words, walk me through the timeline of uh, Unite Norman's efforts to, re- was, was it to recall you and some of the city council members or?
1: Half the city council, yeah.
0: Wow. So
1: Norman is a college town, and like many college towns, we're more educated and more liberal. I hate how that's become a dirty word, but I mean, if you look at how Cleveland County voted in this past election, hey, I'll show you. I actually bought coffee cups of this. It'll be a Christmas gift. The, the blue part, right? That's Norman, Oklahoma. And that's not, not crazy for college towns, like I said, but there, there has always been balance, some balance and it's usually from the west side of Norman and the west side of Norman recently elected some of the some very progressive progressive council members which was kind of surprising and I think maybe they were asleep at the wheel and didn't weren't paying attention and then we started making some very progressive policy decisions which I have no regrets for but they felt left out. And so it's really unfortunate that instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on finding good candidates to return the balance, they thought their best option was to try the recall effort in a pandemic. And it was for me and four council members. And I had heard whisperings this was coming and it was for originally me and wards one, three and five, which was all women. And somebody pointed out, you realize you're going after all women so I think they, they stuck in another council member just to make sure it wasn't all women. But it was rough. They actually got the signatures for me, but I heard they were doing very ugly things like going into assisted living centers and telling, you know, old 90-year-old people that I'm dismantling the police department, which is in no way accurate. Um, they went to bars <laughs> and told all these young Bar patrons that I was closing all the bars, which was in no way accurate. So Dishon- it was definitely dirty,
0: dishonest, but probably a pretty effective political. Strategy. Oh, it was.
1: But many of them, fortunately, aren't Norman residents, let alone registered to vote in Norman. But it was definitely dirty pool and uh, a lot of unnecessary stress during an already stressful time. And so I, I do tr- always try and see the silver lining and, and positive of everything that happens. And we have a lot more engaged citizens now, which I've always said local government is the most important level of government. We don't get the fanfare of the state or federal levels. But the decisions that we make here in Norman, it would be the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, directly impact your everyday life. It's your quality of life from building parks and libraries to making sure you have sidewalks for your kids to walk to school on to make sure the water that comes out of your faucet is clean and safe to drink that if you have a fire not only does the fire department show up but they have the equipment they need to do their job like big things that i think are so day-to-day that people underestimate how valuable and important it actually is and people are paying attention now and that's definitely the upside So I'm excited to see what our our next elections look like. Our council elections are in February. I was telling everyone, everyone's like, oh, aren't you glad the the presidential election's over? Things should calm down. I was like, not in Norman. Our elections are in February. So we'll see how that goes. It is unfortunate that they did the recall effort over the summer as the city of Norman was trying to do four uh, property tax bond initiatives, general obligation bonds, and they would have been game-changing because it would have created jobs and all that would have gone into effect after in terms of uh, how the impact on people's wallets after the pandemic but yeah it was constructing quality of life projects assisting the homeless assisting small business uh, assisting police and fire and public transportation like every key piece of local government would have been benefited by this but they did bring out and got the attention of a lot of anti-tax folks. And I, I, heard, I would hear, oh, I'd vote for it, but not with this council. So it's again, timing wise, very unfortunate they did it when they did because it killed all of those bonds. And Norman, besides Stormwater, is generally supportive of things like that because we wanna live in a great city. So we're gonna have to bounce back from that one.
0: Well, and you, know, you described yourself as being fairly middle of the road. It seems like there's a public conception of you as this progressive AOC-esque figure. How does how, how do you work alongside the you know the higher ups in the state and like Governor Stitt and legislature?
1: Well, I interned for George W. Bush. I mean, you can check my records. I started as a Republican. I'm from Kansas. Like, I, I feel like if I went to the coast, people would call me a Republican. But I, I'm clearly not afraid to imagine what our, our future can be and to try things different and to make sure everybody is included and benefits from the process. And I don't know if everyone at the state level has that in mind. I'm sure they all have the best intentions, but I, I don't know if I'm seen as AOC or is just one that's not afraid to speak her mind. Like I'm, I, I don't have any qualms calling out white men that are older than me, I earn my seat at the table, and I have things to say, and you're going to listen. And if you don't like it, then don't listen, don't come to Norman, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know, I, I answered a Norman residence. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I do think I've, I've ruffled a few feathers. But I don't think any of it's been unfair. I haven't personally attacked anybody the way I have been personally attacked. You know, I've seen posts about me in the state Republican Party page. And so I I think I'm just a new generation of leaders that didn't wait to be told it's their turn. And we're gonna make a difference while we can and hopefully encourage other people to come in and and do the same. Because I think that's another thing too about these old guards is they're holding on to their power with everything they've got and they are terrified but they need to realize that millennials in Gen Z, and I am an elder millennial, now outnumber Gen X and boomers. <laughs> so they might be holding on to a reality that the next generations aren't here for. And it's, it is scary to, to th- think about that, but it's, it's okay to change. And it's okay to, to picture a world that again is more equitable for everyone. And I'm very proud of the Norman City Council because we've done that in a variety of ways.
0: Well, and I think that if there is one pro that does come from the level of divisiveness now, it is overall an increase in engagement,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, you know, the people that are protesting, that are calling, you know, trying to recall you, that are, vo- you know, making these awful threats about you, I want I to I ask about that again in one minute. Um, I mean, they're also incentivizing your base, your supporters and the like-minded citizens of Norman to rally behind you. It's true.
1: You know, you know, Unite Norman. But unfortunately, that also creates, I think, or deepens the divide. But you, you would see, uh, I stand with the Norman City Council signs pop up. And it's, it's been interesting, definitely worth some sort of research project, I'm sure.
0: Have the threats or just the derogatory language aimed at you? Is that, you know, heightened the level of stress on your family in addition to you, as I would imagine?
1: I'm very careful about what I tell my husband because he does get very concerned and I definitely don't want my kids knowing about it. Mm-hmm. My kids are 13 and six and the 13 year old is more interested in video games than social media. So that's a good thing. But little things have happened. Like uh, my kid was at, the youngest was at a day camp and he was telling me about this game they play where people will ask questions and you, you know, Oh my, me like just, whose favorite color is red, you know, something like that. And, he's sitting at a table and someone says, who hates the mayor? And he knows that his mom is the mayor. And so this six-year-old comes home and tells me this story and says, but don't worry, mom, I didn't raise my hand. So that, that really bothers me. I'm glad he didn't raise his hand, but um, he shouldn't have to go through that. So it, it, again, I, I try and treat everyone with grace, and when I see these horrible comments, I just you know bless their hearts and move on, because I, I'm not, I've never made a decision with the intent of hurting anyone or any business or any department. We're just trying to leave the city better than we found it.
0: I'm shocked that these six, six-year-olds are talking about the mayor. I don't know if I knew who a mayor or what a mayor was when I was that old, but um, well, and I mean. Because I, I read a little bit about obviously Unite Norman, but also about some of the actions that you've taken since your election. And all these articles, you know, for you or against you, they describe you as progressive and even historic with the, you know, a, a historically progressive city council uh, accompanying your, you know, your mayoral stake in this. But what do you think the future looks like after, let's just say tomorrow, things sort of come back to normal, fully restored what happens in Norman?
1: That's a great question. And I and I definitely don't want to say that I'm I'm not progressive, but the bar to be progressive in Oklahoma is quite <laughs> low. Let's just <laughs> get that out there. Yeah, okay. That's, that's fair. So and and Norman tends to do things that the rest of the nation has already done. It's just like mind-boggling in Oklahoma. But uh we are as a council very progressive to the point where I have said many times, how did I get to be the most conservative person on the Norman City Council? Like it is, I will not deny that at all. And there are some things that are, are a bit far for me, but that's why that balance is so important. And so if things, you know, we could flip the switch and they were back to normal, I think you'd see some very interesting council elections, which you're going to see anyways, but campaigning so weird right now because you can't knock on doors So I think that's what's in store for Norman. I think people are gonna fight to get the balance back, but then the residents have clearly spoken. Recall efforts were not successful. And so you wanna talk about the silent majority. I don't think it is the silent majority, but I I do think balance is important. So I'll be watching the elections. I, I don't engage in them. I don't throw my support to anyone just because the residents deserve to make their own choices. My opinion shouldn't weigh into it. You know, you can go back and check the current council members' records yourself. And then it's, I think we've seen incumbent upon everyone to really know who you're voting for and what they stand for. Because it is, I think, a precipice for Norman. Are we gonna keep making history in the state of Oklahoma or are we gonna slow down a bit? We'll see.
0: That's interesting to think about. Because I don't think Oklahoma has never voted as a state blue in a presidential election, let alone, you know, Norman is considered, I guess somewhere along the lines of Austin in relation to Texas. Um,
1: Lawrence with Kansas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) The People's Republic. Uh, But I, I don't get that vibe when I'm there. And it's interesting to me to see the silent majority come out and, you know, meet or contest whatever is going on here with such, you know, loud protest. Cause it, it it is not the silent majority. And I'm interested to see what these elections for city council and you know just come February have in store, especially in light of COVID.
1: Well one of my favorite things about Norman is you got passionate citizens. And I just hope we can kind of shape that and guide that into something that benefits our city. Not any more of this tearing apart of our city. That's what needs to happen. I appreciate the involvement so much. And I hope it stays. I hope this isn't just a flash in the pan of caring about local government. Because like I said earlier, what we do matters. So we'll see. Um, it's going to be a few interesting months in Norman. Again, the world is having a few more interesting months. But we've got our, our unique issues. I got to tell you, I'm kind of tired of living through history, though.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, I was born in 98, but I would imagine the 90s would be a little bit more temperate all in all uh, than the times are now. You bring up that interesting point, though, of just about how, you know, action and government is really best seen and most seen as, you know, most impactful at the local level. How do you gauge more people to actually care, let alone stay in tune and stay up to date with the local ongoings rather than just at the national level?
1: That's a great question. I think you have to listen to your residents and do projects they care about and not just maintain the status quo. What are we doing to be the best city to live in Oklahoma? What are we doing to improve the existing processes? What are we doing to create a better quality of life for every resident in Norman, not just those who can pay for it? So I think you have to, to show the work that you've done but include residents in the process. You've got to have buy-in. I think one of the most helpful things that has come out of this pandemic for me was I was selected for the U.S. Cities Bloomberg Harvard Leadership Program, one of 40 mayors in the nation. Congratulations! And it has been, thank you, uh, so many resources, and not only like the academic and technical resources, but to be in a group of mayors right now where we've led the the fight against COVID-19, more often than not. If you think about it, a year ago, the world was asking, or at least the nation, can a mayor hold the highest executive seat in the United States of America, Pete Buttigieg? Now, it's unequivocally, yes, we know how to do this. We're closer to the people, we we can make tough decisions. So that's exciting to see some, I think, uh, respect for the mayor's position but nobody knows what it's like to be a mayor right now, <laughs> except a mayor. And so being in that group is amazing. And again, the the training that I've gotten, the connections and network that I've built, but the, I also had the opportunity to apply for what's called an innovation track where you have a team of Harvard professors and staff helping you with a project. And if you actually, I need to retweet it, but I was it's on my LinkedIn too, uh, Bloomberg Cities, Did a little article on Norman because we were selected as one of 12 cities in the nation to get that and it dealt with the reimagining policing and and being more citizen friendly. And the city manager has a great quote in it that we're going to not only hopefully get a great outcome on this specific issue, but we're going to learn a process that we can use to address other issues in our community going forward and a lot of it does deal again with that citizen input and feedback and creating solutions that actually address the problems. And and not just what we think is the problem, but what residents have told us is the problem and building those relationships and creating that buy-in, which is so important. So I'm very excited to see what comes of that. And we need to create more opportunities like that. We really do.
0: Aside from COVID, if you had to just off the top of your head list out the three problems that you hear most regularly from citizens, or just what, what would you say are the three primary problems facing the city of Norman?
1: Well, budget's always hard. You know, we have a very lean staff. I, gosh, I would love to fully staff our city. And Oklahoma is the only state in the nation that ties cities to sales tax to support our general funds the way that we do. And when you have a, I don't know, pandemic where <laughs> sales tax revenue goes down, it really has an impact on you. Or when the economy tanks, or when everyone shifts to online shopping, and we haven't closed those loopholes yet. So I think the economy is always a big one. Uh, right now, we're we've taken some bold action with reimagining policing, and maybe using some of that funding to get to the core of the problems, because our police officers have become like our teachers. We've asked them to be everything to everyone in every situation, and this state ridiculously underfund social services. So it becomes the city's problem. Yet again, we're tied to sales tax so we have budget problems. And so the police have to pick up the slack on a lot of mental health issues, a variety of things. And so we're doing this crazy thing where we're imagining, well, what if we address those problems at the beginning so the police never even have to deal with it? Bold, right? I mean, these are things that like aren't that crazy, but People are losing their minds over it because change is hard, but that's what leaders do. Leaders do the hard things and that's what we're trying in Norman. So I'm excited to have the the support of of the Bloomberg Harvard team as as we address that. But I think those would be our three ones, making sure we have a a full recovery from COVID-19, ongoing budget issues, uh, as well as figuring out what reimagining policing looks like and what it means to us.
0: So essentially, pumping in some of the funding for social services, and then maybe taking away some from Norman PD.
1: Well, we didn't actually take any money away from them. We just didn't give them the budget increase that they wanted. Gotcha. So they actually did get some budget increase, just not as much of one. That's why I loathe the, the phrase, Norman defunded the police. No, actually, we didn't at all. But uh, I keep seeing on Fox News, all these cities that deep under the police and there's Norman, Oklahoma. And it's just like, oh my God. And it's crazy when Fox News does stories like that, I get hate mail from around the nation. People take time out of their day from around the nation to message me. No. And it's just like, okay, yeah, it's, it's bananas. Uh, someone asked me if I was journaling throughout this year because it's a, it's a historic experience. And I, and I haven't been I'm like, no, I, who has time for that? Like, I don't have time for that. Um, But it's, it's been an experience. And by the time my first term is over, I will still be under 40. So I don't, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I can definitely check a box for leading through history uh, through this term, for sure.
0: I just, I can imagine somebody sitting at home in Florida writing to this, you know, Elite I've done
1: some of them. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I get called a socialist, communist, Nazi. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can't be all three of those at yeah. once. But uh, yeah, I, I did over the summer at some point just to show people a glimpse of what's in my inbox. But, you know, can't let it bother you.
0: No, you cannot. In terms of policing, from my, just because, you know, from a college student's opinion. I think that the slogan itself, defund the police, was a misfire because it's, mm-hmm. there was just such a variety of interpretations, you know, for even, even a application or, you know, proposed application from cities to states uh, across the board. And to me, it seems that there is, when you, when you make that pitch, you know, it's like, or even just say what happened, we didn't defund the police. They just didn't get the full budget increase that they wanted. Uh, and yet you say that you know, we, you know, we have a va- very underfunded social services program that could be dealing with more mental health issues. That makes sense. What, what, what do you think the trick is to getting that, that sales pitch out there?
1: We're going to have to walk the walk now. We, we did the thing and now we need to show that it was the right decision. That's why having this, uh, the support, which is at no cost to the city and how we implement any new programming that comes from those funds is crucial. If we screw this up, we'll never have the opportunity again. And this can literally change lives and maybe even improve the career of a police officer, which is our goal. And so it's very hard to walk back that phrase, like you said, very polarizing. And while it, it, you said many interpretations, that is correct. Some people wanted what we're doing, just like, hey, spend some of that on social services. Why do you have to keep putting more money into a department that's quite controversial? But some actually meant defund the police. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a, a message that you have to keep sharing. And again, as as we move forward with implementing what we did with those reallocated funds, that'll be a very important time to share our successes and what we're doing to improve the lives of all Normanites.
0: Because, I mean, I go to school in Edmond, and I mean, the police there, they look like they're combat ready. The gear is, you know, and, I, I, and again, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I, the cars alone, I mean, they look like they are, you know, some kind of tank almost with the uh, rails and everything. I, and I don't know, I don't have any idea what Edmund's budget is, but it, to me, it just seems like there definitely could be some beneficial changes made in terms of funding.
1: You should look at their police department. It's, it's palatial compared to our old police department, which really needs some remodeling. So uh, I hear that all the time from our police officers. Have you been to the Edmund Police Department? No, I have not. But Norman's actually done a great job of producing a lot of chiefs of police. And the chief of police of the city of Edmond is from, I think he was a major here uh, at the city of Norman several years ago. Oh, no way. Hmm? And we don't don't hate the police. We're just (laughs) not afraid to reimagine what they can do and what they should do. And I think that's incumbent upon every leader to ask those questions.
0: Well, and also, I think, just simply put, stating what you just said, we don't hate the police. I think a lot of people take it as, especially with, you know, when, when we talk about the race issue of, you know, yeah. just the debate over whether or not there is systemic racism in this nation's uh, justice system. And if that does trickle all the way down to individual city police departments, uh, how do we how do we solve that and it's not by because it is it, it that is the I think the worst or best mm. example of that but it shows how far the divide really is because you have people on the far left saying you know it's like oh you know racist pigs you know whatever and then they're like no you guys are just a bunch of commies <laughs> you know whatever
1: well and I, I honestly think the change in police will come from my generation and your generation it has to be a culture change from within and so I know a lot of amazing police officers and I was looking through like my the the police officers at, for Norman that come into my mind first and they're mostly minorities <laughs> they're gay they're women and I'm like okay I clearly have a type uh, but they're <laughs> the ones that have reached out to me and built a relationship with me you know I, I hate the the accusation that I hate all police You know, I deliver cookies to the police department every Christmas, and I don't ever put it on social media. I have had events at my home where I have, you know, neighborhood stranger danger for the kids. Police come over. I send Christmas cards to at least four different police officers. I gave maternity clothes to a police officer and brought them a lasagna when they had the baby. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. But again, we got to put our money where our mouth is and, and do the good work right now.
0: Last thing here. How do we mend the divide?
1: It's difficult in a pandemic because I think it needs to be dialogue. And this dialogue is something we've gotten used to. Some people are super burnt out on it, Um, but we need to get in a room and we need to talk to each other. Crazy idea, because I am quite confident that I would say 99% of the awful things that are said to me, nobody would say to my face. And we need to find that common ground. There's tons of opportunities for common ground. You're a person of faith. I'm a person of faith. It may not be the same faith, but you know we believe in that. Do you have kids? I have kids. <laughs> you believe in small business. I believe in small business. There's so many things that we can agree on, and the things that we don't agree on, we need to talk because more often than not, you'll understand their point of view, and it may not change yours, but you'll get it, and then you can. Help! it'll help you find that common ground again. So I think that's the, the biggest thing we could do is hold on to our humanity, treat each other with some grace and and find the common ground, talk to each other. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I know I, I can pop off sometimes, especially on Twitter. Uh, so I'll, I'll have to make sure I, I put on my happy face and best behavior. But if you actually wanna be a leader, you got to set an example. And that's something that we've been lacking, unfortunately. And so it's incumbent upon all leaders right now to take that big step and set that example of what it can be. And I'm looking forward to that. I think a great example is the mayors of Tulsa and Oklahoma City, they're Republicans, I'm a Democrat, but we have worked together on many issues and I hope we continue to. And there's always a little competitiveness there because we're all, we, you know, we're nicknamed the young guns I heard that somewhere and like died laughing because I think we're all 40-ish or younger, which is neat that the biggest cities of Oklahoma have a younger generation leading the way. And I think you'll see the results of that in generations to come, for sure. But we've got to come together and find the common ground, and we need to talk to each other, hands down.
0: I think we need to leave Twitter in the past. (laughs) Because I, I mean, I say that joke. I love Twitter, but yeah, I, I too enjoy the occasional rant. Um, I think that it's so easy to just get caught up on only the differences when it's something virtual like social media, um, and it just seems like what, what this is right here. You know, it's just it, it's lacking. The civil discourse is it's hard to find, but uh, I don't it think is. I don't think it's gone forever.
1: I hope not, Uh, but it'll be, uh, again, up to my generation and yours to bring it back.
0: Well, Mayor Clark, happy Thanksgiving, and thank you so much for, for doing this.
1: You're welcome. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too.
0: Take care.